everybody. This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and you're listening to our, I guess, latest episode at this point, unless you're listening after the fact, in which case it's not our latest episode, and I won't be able to do anything about that. But super happy to have you. Thanks for joining us as I jump into a discussion this week with Adrian, back for part two. Uh, Adrian is the owner and founder of Sidewinder Concepts, former Army sniper, and uh, you know, after our first discussion uh, a few weeks back, we we had a, a deep conversation offline and uh, figured it was something we could maybe take to the uh, take to the podcast as a part two, really diving into the whole concept of uh, recon and, and recce skill sets and skill base and uh, mindset things like that because it is it is something that is so commonly uh, you know mentioned. And, and thrown around in the community these days. And, uh, and honestly, I, it's a little bit um, twisted, right? I think what we see a lot of out there and what you as a uh, individual listening to this, what you've probably seen out on social media for content, probably not entirely accurate. So uh, Adrian spent years in the, uh, in the army as a sniper, having done quite a bit of this uh, recce, if you will, work or, or recon-oriented missions, both in urban and uh, rural areas, and a you know variety of different circumstances. So he has a lot of firsthand experience with this, and also we get we get a lot into you know talking about uh, recce weapon systems, recce rifles, and optics and glass because you know it's I think it's really applicable to the conversation, but also because that's what, you know a lot of what Adrian does with Sidewinder. So. Uh, really, really interesting topic when you start kind of peeling back the layers and getting into the nitty gritty and seeing that it's uh, a little bit more organic than I think a lot of people want to admit. Um, it's a little bit less cut and dry than I think just, hey, I have a chest rig, hey, I have a scoped carbine, and I'm wearing uh, what I deem to be the most appropriate camouflage of the day. Now I'm ready for hashtag recce. Not exactly how it works. So we uh, we jump into all that stuff. It's a really good conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it and probably learn a, a fair bit here. So before we get into all of that, <clears throat> as always, this is a sponsored podcast. Be impressed. Um, or not. Um, but... But real talk, you know, we do have some sponsors here. We're going to say thank you because uh, without their support, I genuinely, you know, would not be as successful uh, as I'm able to be um, to whatever degree you measure that at personally. But I, I find myself to be successful compared to what I, I had imagined, you know, several years ago and very, very happy to work with these these companies and uh, and thankful to have their support. <clears throat> so want to say big thank you to Midwest Gunworks, you guys. Uh, if you are looking at building out a recce rifle, head on over to MidwestGunworks.com. They set up discount code prepared mindset for 5% off your order. So whether you're picking up a barrel, a bolt carrier group, maybe a fully built upper or a lower, uh, stocks, furniture, any of that good stuff, Midwest Gunworks has you guys covered. They've been in business since 1997. They have a long and and successful history of being a a retailer, an online retailer, stocking good quality parts, components, uh, you know, lights, optics, magazines. Hell, if you're looking to buy a off-the-shelf firearm, they are a great, great place to go start looking. Again, discount code prepared mindset is going to save you 5% off your order. Head over to Midwest Gunworks today and let the team there take care of you. 
Also have to say thank you to 100 Concepts. Guys, <clears throat> since we're talking about, you know, re- reconnoitering, recon, recce, camouflage, 100 Concepts really has built out their product offerings based around camouflage and effectiveness out in the wilderness and addressing some of the most pressing issues that people face when when carrying out some of these activities. Their scope caps and their light caps have been massive successes uh, and really, I think, taken social media by storm uh, just for how simple they are, how effective they are, how easy to install they are. Guys, their company motto is do good, be dangerous, and live free. They're a company that really has the same core principles and values that we all do. Go give them some support. Head on over to 100concepts.com. Pick up some pack or helmet scrim. Got a couple pictures up this weekend of that stuff. Blends in really, really well. And you can pick up the Alpine still on sale now that the weather is changing back. Again, that's 100concepts.com. Head over, see what they got going on. Have to say thank you as well to LARP Labs and my good friend, John. LARP Labs is a creator, manufacturer, if you will, of computer-cut vinyl adhesives. So you can wrap your optic, you can wrap your weapon light, your flashlight, whether you know, maybe a handheld PVS-14, in your preferred camouflage or color. Why would you want to do this? Well, it's very popular and very effective, right, to paint your weapon systems. Now, that said, a lot of us really don't know how we feel about painting our optics, voiding warranties, painting lights, PVS-14s, things like that. That's where these 3M adhesive vinyl wraps come into play. This is the high-quality stuff. It's used on competitive rock crawlers. John even set you guys up with discount code PREPAREDMINDSET to save 10% off your order when you head over to LARPLabs.com. There's no sticky residue. They don't peel. And these things are rated for three years of outdoor use. They are rugged as hell. Go get you one today. Again, that's LARPLabs.com. And last but certainly not least, have to say thank you to our friends over at Active Carry. Guys, medical is important. We mentioned medical and advanced medical skills in the conversation today that, that Adrian and I have, and it, it, it can't be overstated enough. Head on over to activecarrytech.com. That's tech with no H, T-E-C. Use discount code PMP10 for 10% off your order when you pick up uh, one of their Blazer IFAC kits their gamma kit, maybe use their custom kit builder, which is a tool that I have not seen at any other medical retailer, their breacher dangler kit, their guardian ankle kit, all great solutions to give you ways to carry medical supplies so that you're well equipped and enabled when tragedy strikes. And they have just recently announced they are moving to as many American-made components as possible. There's a lot of companies out there selling a lot of medical components, guys, and most of them are not are not American-made. Active Carry is taking that step. They're supporting, <clears throat> excuse me, they're supporting our country. You guys go ahead and over to ActiveCarryTech.com, support them, let them take care of you, and make sure you have the tools that you need to be effective when you're out in the world. Again, discount code PMP10 for 10% off your order. all right so again my guest this week is adrian from sidewinder concepts we get into the whole the whole recce discussion it's real popular right now all the kids are doing it you know i'm saying but we break down the details we get into how this applies whether you live in an urban area or a rural area some of the things that you should consider you know um or 
if you haven't, you you know you should you should consider them. Maybe if you had, maybe we we put it in a little bit different perspective. So without any further hold up here on my end, I am going to get us on over to my discussion with Adrian. Adrian, welcome back, man. How you doing? Good, and yourself? Not bad. I've actually, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited. I have been looking forward to this uh, part two of our discussion. Uh, I think it was what like. It was January, so a couple of months. Uh, I think almost two months ago, the last time that you were you were on with me, and we were having our discussion, right? Right. Yep. I believe it was January. Yeah. Um, and it, I remember getting done with that conversation and uh, talking offline, and uh, we like so we took some like left turn into like talking about recce stuff or recon work, and you're getting all fired up and everything. I'm like, man, this is this is perfect for a follow-on discussion. So we got, I remember sitting there, we, we got it on the books. Um, so um, for anyone listening, I know I'm, I'm not really going to go through the normal, the normal drill here. If you guys don't know who Adrian is, he runs Sidewinder Concepts, former army sniper. Yep. And uh, if you guys haven't listened to our first discussion, you should press pause and go listen to that. And then come back. Um, so, like I said, today <laughs> is a, a continuation of that discussion. Um, but something that uh, we we hear and see a lot more in the community, t- like the 2A community online, right? We go through these like phases of what's popular. And for like ever, it seemed like for years, right? It was like flat range and slick plate carriers and you know super like intensely focused maybe even over focused on like performance shooting and and maybe over focus is a poor word right especially for somebody that does what you do um but like that's all you saw right was information and content around like almost like almost competitive based shooting and flat range stuff would you agree that that was you know there was like a solid couple years there that's about what the focus was yeah, the the flat range, just the flat range, more CQB esque style of shooting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is just because it's that's the easiest ranges to find because distance ranges are a little harder to find. I mean, you you talked about that in the yeah. previous podcast about well, I don't have a range that I can actually reach out to, kind of thing. Yeah, well, I found out there is one here in Michigan. It's just like four hours north of me, so. Yeah, it's not once it's, a month, maybe. Yeah, not what I would call readily accessible. But we have seen, I would say, in the last, uh, I don't know, two or three years here, we have started to see a pretty drastic shift in the community focus towards spending time in the woods. Um, and I think everybody, and we, I'm, I'm positive that we talked about this last time as well. Everybody just like associates anything that's off the flat range with uh, quote recce or recon concepts, things like, Hey, I'm going to build out this whole chest rig, right? Huge chest rig with, you know, GP pouches all over the place and dump pouches and a giant backpack and all this stuff. And that's a recce loadout because I'm going to spend time, you know, uh, outside of suburbia. Right. And I'm going to put a LPVO or, uh, I, I think MPVO, is that a thing now too? If it's like a, I've a, heard that term being being used. Uh, yeah, recently. I, think, I think people are trying to get it to catch on, um, but that it's just it, it's like we have now gotten to a point where there is this dichotomy. You're either in the CQB side of the community, or you're in the recon recce 
outdoorsy side of the community. Um, and there's some like real, real, I will say intense opinions on both like extreme sides of it. It's kind of like, it's almost like politics, right? Like you got like 80% of us that live in the middle and you got the extremes on each side of the community that, that think that what they're doing is only what's important, you know? Right. So talking about the recce piece of it, because I, I know a lot of people spend time on the flat range <clears throat> and this is something that you got especially worked up about once we, <laughs> once we were getting into it is how people throw the term around, how people talk about how it's, it's so important and, and it probably is, but they don't really understand what they're really talking about, you know, just being in the woods, you know, small unit tactics is a start to a lot of that, but it's not all, it's not, that's not the only piece of it, you know? So if you look at it from a, I'm trying to think of how to like kind of initiate into this one. If you, if you look at a recon platoon in, in the army, for example, the, the reason why they have so much training is because they are by themselves generally further away from any kind of support system. So within that, each member needs to have a higher level of survivability, which includes um, an advanced set of skills, whether it be from distance shooting, uh, operating um, whatever uh, surveillance equipment we have, advanced medical skills, so on and so forth. It's just all these advanced skills that increase your survivability uh, capabilities. So when you throw the word like recce out there, it's kind of like a all-encompassing of every single skill set that you can that you can possibly uh, learn. Yeah. And where where I get frustrated is everybody in the firearm side of it. So you have the you kind of have like two different realms. You have the the shooting side, the firearm side, and then you have the the field craft side. Mm-hmm. Now on the firearm side. The, the, where I get kind of frustrated is, is when you hear guys say it's a recce rifle. And I think we need to just drop the rifle part completely. And it's a recce weapon because more or less, if you have to start initiating contact or um, having to defend yourselves, it's all because you have to get out of that situation because yeah. there is no support system. You're not going to just sit there and just start fighting with your, your small little unit and against however big the enemy is, that's your compromise now. And so right. all your skills start to come into play to get you out of there. And what I'm saying by the weapon is, is depending on the terrain that you're at, your weapon may not be a rifle. It, it could be very well be a pistol. You could be doing some kind of deep surveillance um, in an urban environment and the only weapon you have at hand to get you out of a situation is a pistol. And that's why, you know, for me, it's it's all about a recce weapon because it's whatever the, the weapon of choice is for that specific mission to give you the most um, the most advantage of getting out of out of that particular conflict that you're in. So would you, okay. So I saw like a post uh, or a story, I think from our friends over at core vision uh, earlier today, actually they had some like a patch or something. 
software over hardware. <clears throat> in this particular instance, would you agree? It sounds like people focus a little too much on the hardware piece of this idea than the actual, yeah, yeah the software, the functional skills. And because if you if you have the skills, you can apply them in any, you can deploy those in any range of scenarios, tasks, uh, you know, whatever you have going on versus it's, you know, I don't, I don't and I can't really, it's kind of like me calling the pot, calling the, the kettle black, you know, type deal, because we're all kind of just, LARPing a little bit when we talk about, you know, geared up training and everything, which I'm all obviously down for. But <clears throat> when you get into guys mm-hmm. taking some of this stuff to the extremes of like getting a ghillie together and packing up all this gear. And I even know that there's some guys that go out there and will do weekend trainings where they go like camp out in the woods and go, you know, do mock assaults on abandoned buildings and and things like that. And I mean, clearly there's value to it. Um, but I do start to question things like, are you really getting the full value out of it? Do you really understand? And, you know, even when you get past that to, or I guess adjacent to that, talking about building out gear and loadouts, do guys even carry the things that they, they understand what they're, what they're supposed to be doing. If they say they're out there doing a recon on fill in the blank, right. Um, do you have a spotting scope or binoculars or a fucking notepad and something to write with. Right. Um, right. You know, it's, it, 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 it gets to the point where I think we just start to copy some of our favorite influencers and run with it. So for, I mean, for me, as far as it goes with training um, outside of the military, because it's an easy answer in the military for outside the military, or an agency that that does conduct surveillance based, you know, operations. It kind of comes down to what is your intended purpose, I would say. So if you're doing it for, you know, I want to be a nomad and have survivability skills, then you're not really doing the surveillance side. You're doing more of the, you know, staying on your own as a scavenger and a nomad and having a lot of those similar skills for survivability yeah. and you know that there's not really there's not really the surveillance side um from that from that particular training well and that's the and by definition that the it unless i'm misunderstanding so correct me if i'm if i'm wrong here but the surveillance side of it is really what the core purpose of a recce mission is right. Cause reconnoiter re- reconnaissance is to mm-hmm. go out, gather information and then ideally return without making contact. Correct. Yes. So yeah. So things like a spotting scope, recording equipment, those are all really the kinds of things that, um, you know, I think uh, would belong in such a setup. I think that what we see instead is kind of somewhere in between. It's like a, infantry loadout that's applied to a, a reconnaissance uh, I think, yeah i think the term has been more like used in a general consensus of like uh, the survivalist and nomad just a mm-hmm. tactical nomad is the easiest yeah. living kind, yeah, easiest kind of thing yeah you know and and there's a lot of value in in the idea, you know, I mean, obviously having advanced medical training is never a bad thing. Uh, having the, the field crafting skills, I think is, I, I do honestly think that that is one of the more 
unrecognized and less acknowledged parts of this whole discussion. You know, do you know how to create a shelter? Like appropriately, do you know how to look at your, either your map or your surroundings and determine like, can I camp here? Or am I going to wake up in two inches of water in the morning and I need to go find some place, you know, with a higher elevation, uh, even as simple as starting a fire, you know, what's going to, you know, if it has just rained, what can I still search out, you know, or or what am I carrying with me to start a fire, Uh, you know, sustainment in terms of food, uh, things like that. Like those are all, I think people loop those right in the the field craft side more than they do the, the firearm side. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, it just goes into just how do you evade, you know, a situation that you're being put into a defensive role? Like, are you just planning on having a last stand right where you're at and just trying to fight right there? Or do you have multiple, you know, escape plans or routes that you can do to, to increase that survivability again? I'll probably say that word like a hundred times in this podcast, because it's more or less where it's going when it comes to, to recce. It's it's if everything works all well and you get your surveillance and your your battlefield information and you bring it back, great. If shit hits the fan, then it turns all into field or all into survivability at that point. And maximizing that to the best of either your ability as an individual or the ability of the team if you're running in a team style thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, which is usually preferable. Like, obviously, more than one guy is usually the the desired uh, group, I would imagine, for something like that. Just so it gives you more options, um, you know. And looking at it from from that perspective, like, are you able to? If we're talking in the civilian space, are you able to replicate such a scenario and then train to it accordingly? Um, and here's something I think that people. I will say maybe not ignore, but lack the, I don't know, the foresight is the the planning piece of it. You know, if you're really actually planning out the mission component of it, right. Do you have a plan B? Uh, do you have plans for if your, you know, original route of exfiltration is compromised, blocked. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, that could happen in training. Like what if, I mean, you're just in the woods, with your buddies, and then some family shows up and just like camps out, like clearly you and your buddies carrying rifles and shit in the middle of the woods, having done a fake assault on an abandoned building, probably not what they're looking to see and find. And you're probably not looking for the extra drama and encounter with the local police force. So have you planned uh, how to go around, how to have a secondary route, those kinds of things? I mean, that's a, I mean, I guess walk, if you can walk through the process of how, you know, high level start to finish how something like this would go planning mission execution from a, and then from a planning yeah i mean it would start with planning um so yeah I mean, so i mean you would do you would do like essentially like a a map reconnaissance of the area that you want to be at and plan on a map and then essentially just start working like if you were to imagine like zooming in at that point and just work from there, have your, um, your alternate, alternate and emergency plans in the event that you lose communication, you, um, you have medical 
emergencies, um, what happens when you get in contact and, and things like that. There's, there's yeah. a whole bunch of, there's a, <laughs> that's a big topic to, to kind of talk about within itself. Um, the planning component. Yeah. And well, it's just a big flow chart on how to, how to more or less fill out the proper planning procedures for, for making that kind of a movement type thing. But the easy, I mean, the easiest thing for me to, to tell people to try is the next local range you go to try looking up and either memorizing the routes to get to the nearest hospital from your local range, like just something simple. And then an alternate route, the phone numbers to local, um, local medical personnel or, or EMS type mm -hmm. type stuff. Um, the timelines it would take to either drive there or there, them to get to you. And from there, um, if, if you know that area where your range is at and you just had a, a simple medical emergency and how to, how you would handle that if you didn't have your phone to just start Googling everything right on the spot kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Which, and which that, that'll kind definitely, of explain. That, yeah. That could definitely even be the case. If you're out practicing something like this, uh, <clears throat> you may not be able to just Google plug into Google maps, uh, get cell service. I mean, in, it happens here in Michigan all the time. I go, you know, to Northern Michigan, hang out with my buddies and stuff. And it's like, mm, I have to wait till I get back to the Wi-Fi. uh, may not get cell signal out here. Uh, it's, you know, spotty at best. We don't know. Right. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, if you're looking at this and thinking, well, it sounds like a lot of work. Well, yes, that, that, that is a lot of work, but that's kind of the point, right. Is, well, yeah, that's all the pre-planning that literally is all the pre-planning. It's just like, you want to get into the game and start doing the pre-planning stuff <laughs> and, yeah, you mean, know, doing routes, understanding how to get out. Even if it's just, even if it's just like a low signal thing and you're looking at trails on how to get to the range that you're at or wherever you're going alternate like if there's a you know a car accident how do you get around it and just just super basic stuff like that you can practice and then you'll start to notice the importance of of more or less practicing that particular um scenario and just not relying on gps and not relying on on um google right at, yeah. right out the gate if, if well, an emergency then... does happen yeah. And from there, you can start to use that uh, plan, that information that you've gathered. I mean, if you've done your your homework right, um, and that should in turn help drive how you start to build out your kit, build out what you're mm -hmm. carrying with you, you know, depending obviously on how many days you plan to be out. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it stops at food. <laughs> Guys like, well, I'm gonna be out for two days. So I need two days worth of snacks and food. But, you know, it's not like, well, I need two days worth of socks of underwear of hygiene products of water um and maybe water maybe you loop that in with, with food right <clears throat> i think that guys get real caught up in just packing their packing their shit full of like all the the tactical stuff and mm -hmm. you know like hey i gotta carry 15 loaded magazines and uh, you know and maybe you do i don't i don't know if you're if that's what you're out there to do is go shoot a, at a distance or something or what you plan on doing, but you know, the planning should really drive that point. And if that means that you carry less gear, I think that's actually probably a positive 
more than anything else. I, I don't really see a point to carrying a bunch of extra shit. If you, if you can determine through proper planning that you don't need it. Well, I mean, if you're planning for a red Dawn situation then 15 mags might be what you want kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, don't know, but then again, Patrick it's Swayze's like, he's not here to ask anymore. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, then again, it's just like, just, I guess it would be, I don't want to really use the word realistic, but because anything could happen kind of thing, but it would be more along the lines of just picking, picking something that's. It's like a realistic, like a realistic, you know, point that you could train around basics, right? Start, I would say start basic and then build from there. And this is where, yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, this is what annoys me about the, you know, uh, the recce conversation, you know, and, and I'll be the first, you know, I live in, I live in suburba, suburbia hell, like 20 feet between houses. Yards are like 40 by 40. Like it, 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 it's like the definition of track housing. So I tend to lean towards like, you know, the, the, I guess the CQB side of the world or the community mm-hmm. if I had to pick one, cause I feel like it's more applicable. Um, and yeah, then, but the thing is, is that those could still be, you could still be directly correlated. And this is, this is what I'm saying. Like, so almost think about the word recce as a, a change that word to uh, almost like survivability. Cause if I said, Hey, you and me are going to go on a recce mission. Mm-hmm. What, like, how would you immediately start changing your, your approach to what gear you would select? I mean, even okay. if we were in an urban environment, <laughs> let's say we were at your house right now. And I said, Hey, we're about to go on a recce. What would you do okay. different? Uh, well, you know, the terrain that we're in, which is urban. Yeah. Right. I would probably select something that would blend in a little bit better than like a, you know, 19 or 28 liter, whatever day pack and stuff that you see used online. I'd probably go with, you know, you want to blend in. So maybe like a, well, yeah. Cause we, it's, it depends how far we're going, but yeah, I mean, so I, like a sling bag. See what I'm talking carry. about now? Yeah. <laughs> See what I'm talking about now? It's all about survivability and, yeah. and more or less, you know, just so that's going to be one of those things where you're, now you're probably going to start thinking about it even harder and we don't have to have to fully talk about that, but more or less it's, it's instead of thinking about it as a, as just a singular style that immediately just everybody jumps to, yeah. Right. Think about it from a survivability standpoint, because you can still go do CQB. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're just moving around and not assaulting forward. It's just kind of paying attention while being able to kind of defend yourself if you need to. Well, and I think, you know, you get uh, some people pull the the conversation in the direction of like, so like we were just talking about right in the middle of suburbia, we're going to go on a recce, whatever jeans a flannel you know light jacket whatever a sling bag like you're gonna blend in because you need to like technically that's camouflage like that like right i mean sure it's not like traditional camouflage and that you know it's to blend in with uh foliage and and things but that's i think that's mission more mission specific right um and that's mm-hmm. why at least for me like when i so like when i pick out gear i've kind of settled on i really like ranger green i think it looks professional i think it works in either environment for me. Um, I, I pretty sure it's what a couple of the local agencies and stuff run. So whatever you get guys that all get all torqued up about 
that's not effective camouflage. You have to run multicam or I don't know, fucking flectarn or camouflage. You want camouflage? Go to the Goodwill. Pick out something that fits. Yeah, I mean, in a, in an urban setting, that's <laughs> yep. that's seriously in a, like in an urban setting. Yeah, um, so it's very situationally dependent or environmentally dependent. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, going back to what you're saying about survivability, we had you know we had um, Mitch from uh, Agonic and Bear Solutions on, and he was a former SEER instructor, and just talking about how they had to spend time in the different, I think biomes or genomes whatever the different environments of the globe right desert arctic you know whatever and understand those things i think that that is super relevant in this discussion too because it really is directly applicable to where to where you live you know if you are out in the rural countryside then yeah shit yeah dude multicam head to toe brother like go for it go you know do what you got to do because you're probably gonna be walking through the woods to get to your neighbor's house me, I literally just walked on the sidewalk, like a hundred feet, maybe. Right. And then there's that difference of, are you blending in with terrain or are you blending in like plain sight kind of thing? And yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely say that the plain sight piece is, I mean, you're not going to blend in, in a suburban area. Like what am I going to do? Wear right. like, clothing. That's like a brick pattern and just back myself up to it. So <laughs> disappear. Like, uh, I, it's just not, you're good that you're going to stick out more than anything. Cause then you start moving, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a more of a universal concept that I think people want to realize and admit, like, it's very nice to be able to pick something like this up right out of your like idea of what, what it means. And then that just has to be that thing. You know, you have to be in the camo, you have to be running a, 18 inch gun with glass. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be five, five, six, I guess 308 is probably a better choice if you're really trying to reach out for stuff, but I digress. Um, people have that, that idea. Well, that's, because- that's why I'm saying that whole, it, it's not a recce rifle. It's a, it's a weapon. It's whatever the weapon is of choice to get you out of whatever your situation is. Right. So and it's which- like you look yeah. at, you look at military units and they'll carry a belt fed with them. <laughs> on, yeah, if, on yeah. some some missions if we only if only we had access uh mm-hmm. you know and but i mean could because it, it could be you know like to your point right in an urban setting you know you have different considerations um some people will say that it's not an issue i would definitely disagree and say that uh if you're talking about a firearm given that you're surrounded by civilians and things like that right like penetration and over penetration of the round are a huge consideration so you're probably not going to go with something larger i mean maybe like a five five six this is just in an urban setting this is my thought like a nine millimeter something like that you know some guys want to do the whole 10 millimeter thing whatever whereas if you're out in the woods and you you have the expectation of because you're just there's just more open space out there you're probably going to go for something larger caliber then yes you might have a magnified optic but you know, there's give and takes to both of that. Like we were talking just before we started recording, right? Um, a lot of people look at those weapons, regardless of what they are, as, as offensive based, but it could be defensive based as soon as you get compromised. So whether it's like a dot with a magnifier or a scope, you kind of have to be able to be flexible, right? And apply those accordingly. Is that a fair? Would I mean, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, you you should be able to 
maximize your capabilities with whatever your particular set, setup is regardless because it goes <laughs> into you know again <laughs> using that word recce from kind of its inception was guys at a more advanced a more advanced like skill set from the traditional traditional uh ground pounder per se yeah i mean and we do see uh there is more focus now and i think better understanding maybe just better uh offerings i guess if you want to get commercial about it um on kind of scopes and optics that give that capability um i think once you were starting to get up into like the 3x and 6x scopes for a long time there right it was just like your basic um like hunting style reticles and not Mm -hmm. super well-made optics or you were then jumping straight up into high-end you know scopes with good reticles and things like that um i think that again commercially speaking you're starting to see companies like primary arms like leopold i know you're a leopold guy uh you know offer uh two to tens you know i think that's like the the new sweet spot for a lot of people is because it um, it just performs a little better than going at a one to 10, trying to get that true one-time magnification. Um, but for a long time, everybody's ran a one to four, one to six, um, and called that, oh, it's a recce rifle because, uh, you know, this is whatever we had in the, in GWAT. And so therefore that's what I have too. Um, but even then, like you see a lot more pictures you, are, are starting to come out. It's like, well, that's what some people had. There was definitely mm-hmm. other options out there. So things like a three to 15 or I, I don't even know, honestly, what common options are anymore. I feel like there's so many just choices out there. If you're talking about building out a weapons platform to try and fit that, that one rifle does everything kind of mold. I don't think you, I don't think it exists personally. To me, it's just terrain based at that point on how you want to set it up. I mean, we, we were all running ACOGs on on our m4s so <laughs> gross it was, well we got issued kind of thing and you just needed to know how to use it and be effective with it and it kind of go from there so that kind of goes into marksmanship it's you know training to the max effectiveness of those whatever platform you're deciding to run so yeah. that it keeps keeps that distance of the enemy or the targets further away kind of so, deal with. Okay. So given that limitations, I think the ACOG was what it's a fixed four power, right? Correct. Yeah. So how did you then um, solve for seeing the enemy at great distances? I mean, obviously you, there's marksmanship can do a lot, but if you're not talking about not shooting, right. Then we get into like spotting scopes, binoculars, Right, some of the stuff that seems less sexy for the Instagram and guys don't talk about for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. Then, I mean, so if you're talking about in the context of this conversation and somebody's listening, going, "Oh shit!" Now, I mean, I, get, I need to sell my one to four. I need to sell my one to six or one to eight. And I need to get better glass because I don't know this conversation or one of the other conversations or guys out there, you know, pushing products saying, you know, one to ten, the future is now. I don't think that's necessarily accurate, right? You just be as effective as possible with what you have and know that you can more easily supplement something like a 4X scope with a binoculars, uh, spotting scope, rangefinder, things like that. There's 
other ways around it. Um, it doesn't have to be, again, this one thing, this one solution that fits in this one box of this is how you do it. Right. Yeah. The, those higher magnification, like LPVOs, for example, it doesn't have to be just for distance shooting. And this is one of the things that I talk about in the classes is, you, you know, if you, if this was a real life scenario and you missed that first shot, that target's going to become very, very small, really, really quick <laughs> because <laughs> it's just a natural reaction to, to take cover kind of thing. And when that target becomes a lot smaller, that extra magnification generally helps. And it doesn't matter if it's a four power, six power, whatever. Yeah. That, that extra magnification helps with those lower percentage shots. And the other aspect is PID. Um, one of the things that yeah, I was going to ask about that. Is, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, just being, just being able to identify if it's actually a threat um like with the equipment in their hands or what kind of equipment does this this target have and, and things like that or you know looking at routes for example does does this route look safe or you know do we not want to go anywhere near it and is there something like different about it just just things like that like that magnification can help from spotting those particular kind of things and even from a hunting aspect it's well, I've heard several stories of guys just seeing an animal in the woods, not being able to identify which animal it is or the size of it and just shooting at it. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's why we have to wear orange because <laughs> they'll just have people walking in the woods with camo. And it's like, everybody gets trigger happy all of a sudden and doesn't give a fuck about PID when it's crazy. Cause you usually get a tag for a specific animal anyways. I was going to say, so, yeah, because you could get, you know, a deer tag and then you can end up taking down an elk on accident and then you're, yeah, well, then you're, you're fucked up. DNR, you're dealing with fines. Uh, they're definitely going to take it. So it's not like, hey, I'll just pay the fine to get the meat. Like they don't let you keep it and they could confiscate your, your rifle too. Like there's a whole, you get no, I mean, even, even there's a story of um, up in Washington state where, we were, me and a couple of buddies went hunting and we had crossed some locals and they were telling us like, you know, this isn't a really good area to go hunting at because somebody just died here not too long ago. And we're like, what? Yeah. So we like Googled it. Apparently uh, a, a small family was, was walking this trail because this, there's a public trails that run next to this, this hunting area mm-hmm. and the typical Pacific Northwest north face poofy black jacket that like everybody wears kind of thing Mm -hmm. um some hunter thought that this lady wearing one of those was a black bear and and shot her so it just goes into that whole pid thing and the fact i mean honestly the fact that you have to even wear orange just shows you that that enough people don't focus on pid enough before Mm -hmm. just shooting their their guns the minute they see some kind of movement in the woods. Yeah. It's not. So, you know, looping, looping this back into the, to the whole optic thing is, is you don't have to necessarily just get focused on a 10 X is just for, you know, shooting out far. Yes. That aids you in, in that Mm -hmm. ability, but it also aids you in the ability to hit those low percentage shots 
to PID equipment or what exactly you are looking at, um, so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I specifically train that aspect where I'll have guys, I'll, what I'll do is I'll have these steel targets set out at all these different distances and barriers set up, you know, going down range kind of thing. And they have to identify what the number letter sequence is on the target. And if they can't see it, then they have to move up Yeah, and keep moving up and, and stop getting used to the idea of, Oh, well, I see the silhouette of a target. I'm just going to shoot at it kind of thing versus actually identifying if it is a shoot or no shoot style target kind well, of thing. And, and then they kind of get- see the limitations of that magnification at that point <laughs> yeah and and you get guys that will talk about these uh like optic setups you know i run a one to six one to eight whatever and i have an offset or a piggyback right red dot <clears throat> mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about um and specific specifically for this application i feel like most maybe just to justify that we did it i don't know um be taught oh yeah i have and, and i do this too i'm guilty of this is oh i have this one to six optic and have my offset red dot and the, the optic lives at six X. I don't ever turn it down and, or, or same thing with a one to 10, right? Oh, it's, it's cranked up to 10 all the time, but understand that it is a true, it is, it's one magnification, two, three, seven, all the way up to 10. And when people start to question, well, why do I need that? Positive identification is a huge part of that. So even if you would actually need to dial it down to a six X, something like that to make that shot feasible to really understand what you're seeing and taking all of that data. And that's maybe that's a a poor representation of the point, but understand what the tools that you have are capable of doing and then appropriately applying them to those situations. Um, I think that's a big miss right now. I really think guys just crank it all the way up. They max out that magnification and then they just leave it there and they don't really understand, you know, the in-between. So that, yes, that, that, that is true. And, and what I try to explain is, is this whole tunnel vision kind of aspect. Cause we'll have, uh, I mean, I'll just throw in random scenarios sometimes just to kind of throw them off their, their loop because everybody will get so sucked into that magnification because they're going into more of a precision style shot that mm-hmm. they forget to see or pay attention to everything else that's happening around them and, and stuff like that. And, you, you know, having that magnification kind of pulled out a little bit, not only gives you more field of view and um, isn't so superimposed on that, on that target. You, you one, if you do have to go into more of a rapid engagement or you don't fully know the distance. So you're just kind of sending around out there and identifying the splash and then making a quick adjustment. You you want mm-hmm. that that field of view to be able to identify all that stuff. Or to yeah. see just the bigger picture or where that, you know, let's say you were doing something like deer hunting, the ability to see kind of where that deer is moving. Like maybe you're about to pull the trigger and you're all the way at 10x and then there's a big tree coming into view, but you didn't see it yet. And now it's behind that tree right when you shot it. But if you had it like, I mean, that's just a super elementary example, but having it zoomed out at that point, you'll be able to kind of predict the movements or predict what's about to happen um, as you're going through that shot process and not get so overly sucked into 
what's going what's going on with the target yeah you can adjust accordingly as they take off or might take off or it you know just that's the whole point is to gather information so you know the more you can see the better you can make an informed decision whether that's on your follow-up shot or anything else um i i do i i really i think that it's a miss just a miss in the community like use your two X three, four, five, six, whatever, like use those. I don't even know what you would call that. Like those in between magnification settings, like use your scope for everything that it can give you. Don't limit. Yeah. Yourself. Just get, get used to. So uh, like one of the things that's interesting um, and you can see this in a lot of videos and for anybody that's kind of listening to this uh, too, from identifying how, how comfortable people are with the mechanics or like moving around with the, uh, the firearm or the, the gear that they have. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you can tell sometimes who's a really, really good shooter based off of just how quickly they can do their reloads and they know how to reset their drills and reset their magazines on their kit or um, just, you know, doing their press checks and all that other stuff. You can tell who's really good at long range and comfortable with scopes based off of how fast they start setting up their scopes and everything. But then you can see who's uncomfortable bouncing into each realm. So like a long range guy going into pistol work or uh, close quarters carbine work, or those pistol guys going into now working with LPVOs that they start taking their time setting all this stuff up. And, you know, where I'm, I'm going with this is kind of going back to, what you just mentioned about really going into those different magnification ranges to maximize your capabilities on whatever that target is. So for me, um, you know, I think it's, it's an easy concept to just talk about because it's so fluid with me to just start adjusting everything on the scope. Like I'll Mm -hmm. run up to a barricade and before I'm even at the barricade, I'm already adjusting the scopes and, and stuff to engage whatever targets are in front of me rather than what ends up happening after a demonstration is because I'll have these targets that are set up and I'll purposely set one up at like a hundred then like 500 and then the next one's at like 300 and then I'll have one at like 50 feet kind of thing. And it's forcing this like in and out kind of of concept. And these guys will come in from like a, a stressed run and they left it on 10x and the first targets are like 50 feet and they're just, you know, starting to cuss everything out because they don't know what to, to do right away or they can't find the target because they're trying to force their current magnification to work for the application that they that they're um, that they decided to use yeah. rather than, you know, get being used to just immediately adjusting everything um, yeah. prior and to like, the approach of a a prop or something like that. Yeah. And that's the detractor, right. To a magnified optic is you know, obviously the magnified image is great. However, the, the field of view stinks. And if you're not using it properly um, and it, you know, it, there needs to be that understanding you need to really, like, I, mm-hmm. as you're explaining that, I'm just thinking of like, like, wow, I, I would be one of those guys. I'd be one of those guys that would leave it, like have it all the way cranked up <laughs> and I'd go to try and find that first shot and I wouldn't even be able to find, be able to find the fucking target. I would have to crank it back down or, or take my head out of the, you know, the eye box and start looking around. Or I know some guys will use like, um, the, like the piggyback red dot 
to see through that and then drop down to the scope there once they find it with the dot. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's one of the redeeming factors or qualities, I should say, to a piggyback versus an offset, maybe. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I I would definitely I would be that guy. I'll own that right now. I know I would. I'd I'd fucking <laughs> suck it. Uh, well and and it kind of and it just goes into the whole you, you know you could take like i've had a lot of guys that are very comfortable with cqb work um mm-hmm. and they understand how to maximize cover and concealment and and that kind of stuff when when engaging these targets and you know even if they have a hard time identifying which is the next target in a sequence of targets they'll naturally put themselves behind that cover going through the, through the process of, of being proper with, with that. So they'll, you know, they'll dip back down, peek over whatever the cover is until they identify the next target, then, you know, rapidly go into it. When you start to see the transition into magnified stuff, if you're not comfortable, um, that tunnel vision really, really kicks in to the point where you just kind of like leave yourself propped up on this target and you look like a tank turret, just searching and searching and searching and you you lose that you lose that mindset of your direct area because you get too focused on the down down range stuff and that's where a lot of the back and forth training needs to be um practiced like crazy where you're not getting sucked into that that essentially that little tunnel vision like a toilet paper roll just there's a target (laughs) but i forgot about everything around me Right. And that's, you know, the, and for as much as we all talk about, uh, as a community, right. Spatial awareness, uh, just situational awareness, understanding what's going on. It's, it's almost like we forget the relative relativity. Yeah. Like relativity of how these concepts cross over with each other and yeah, it can still be applicable. I think when we think situational awareness, a lot of people automatically go straight to like things in a, it's weird, right? in an urban setting, somebody walking up on me when I'm in my car or when I'm in the mall and somebody tries to grab my kid or something, right? Like that's where we talk about situational awareness, but we don't, we don't cross apply those concepts and our understandings of that into things like we were just talking about, you know, optics and distance shooting and really just understanding that it, it is more fluid than that. Um, so to kind of, take it away let's take it away from the firearms piece for a second and talk about you know we were talking a little bit earlier about the gear and things that go with it from well (laughs) yeah probably a little bit um getting into i mean i know you've done a bunch of this stuff and i know you've observed a ton of this stuff where where do you see people missing the mark the most when we're you know they they use that hashtag recce or whatever and you look at it and you just cringe because it's like, well, you know, I don't know. Where's your, I don't know, binoculars. That's like a, that's an easy miss. Like, well, what are you doing? So, I mean, from a, from a, I guess, non-military or agency kind of side, like looking at it from a civilian's aspect, I don't necessarily cringe at the lactor of um, optics for, for surveilling an area. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, usually for me, it's look at all this gear that this guy wants to carry, but has he tried to carry that shit? 
Yeah, uh, I think that like have you and not not like a mile or two. I'm talking like no, go take that shit for you know a ten plus mile hike, and then go to the range and shoot, or go oh, shoot dude. with it on. Because guess what, you're not gonna leave it alone. You you no. obviously got all that gear for a reason. So put that shit on. Go to your your flat range. Like I, <laughs> I did that with. I used to do that with my the recon guys all the time. It's just like okay, well. Today we have a you know a twenty five yard flat range. Guess what we're gonna do? Load that shit up, and everybody's gonna be in in their kit and plate or not their plate carriers, their their uh, chest rigs and fucking um, rucksacks, and we're gonna start practicing all these drills. You're gonna realize real quick that when you start having all that gear on, it you know it pinches at that shoulder point right there when you're trying to you know squeeze forward to get that perfect C C grip in the front, and you're gonna fatigue really really fast just having all that stuff on and your core is going to get blown out. But you remember you wanted all that gear because that's going to create that survivability. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because we, uh, I was out this past weekend at a buddy's uh, property shooting and uh, where he shoots, it's like, you know, we go downhill a bit and back into the property where he's got a backstop built up, but because it had snowed on Friday, went on, on on Sunday morning, it snowed on Friday. We could not, like the last time I was there, we couldn't use his golf cart and trailer to just like pile all of our shit in and drive it down. And his tractor couldn't make it down either because it would start to slip and slide down the hill. So we just had to carry all of our shit, which really wasn't a ton of stuff. Like I think I had two rifles in one hand and then I had my range bag in the other, which was just like my ammo and stuff. And I had a plate carrier, which I wore. And dude, I swear, well, A, we all almost slipped and, and like, you know, ate shit a couple times going down and coming up. But dude, my God, I mean, it was even going downhill by the time we got done, like shoulders were all, you know, smoked and everything, sweating, uh, going back, we were crawling uphill that that sucked. And it, 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 I think at most was a quarter mile. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this I'm not I'm bringing one rifle next time. Fuck this too. This sucks. And I know that that was a realistic thing, you know, for a lot of people in the military, you carry your, your bolt gun on your back and then you carry a 10 and a half inch AR or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I knew some guys like, uh, my, my cousin, uh, was in seventh group and I remember having a conversation with him about like some of this stuff and, and he hit me with one that like, I didn't, I didn't think about before. <laughs> and it was even like selecting guys to be part of the team. They didn't want the big beefy, the big beefy looking dudes. They wanted more of your, your, you know, slim, shorter guys because they didn't require as many calories. So that you didn't have to bring double the food. Yeah. And then when you look at like a standard issued ruck, like even just something as simple as you look at a standard issued ruck and they're all designed to the same exact volume specs. Mm-hmm. But if you have a guy that's smaller who has a size smaller uniform to put into the ruck, it's going to equate to being one more compact in the ruck. So you can carry more stuff like batteries and water and it's going to be lighter weight because it's not like this super large uniform for a like a big beefy guy kind of thing just just simple things like that well and and batteries there too is something i think everyone skips out on like dude everything you you were talking earlier right we all rely on gps you know hey we're just gonna i'm gonna drop a ping here or 
I'm going to use ATAC on my phone and I'm just going to remember where we're at. I'm going to find my way back out of the woods. Like, well, if your shit dies, you know, um, do you have a power bank? If it's your cell phone, if it's your radio, do you have spare batteries? In addition to you should have spare batteries for all of your optics, all of your flashlights, all of your, and I say this, by the way, as the guy that showed up to the range and left all of my spare batteries uh, up the hill on Sunday. So I wore my electronic ear pro <laughs> with no, uh, with no like hearing amplification. Um, it was the guy, everyone had to be like, they had to check on every time they're going to start shooting, make sure my, my ears were on. Um, so yeah, don't, don't be like me, bring your batteries because shit dies. Um, that all adds weight. I mean, especially when you start getting into, um, you know, like embitter batteries and, or whatever, you know, the, the radios uh, and shit. Yeah. Those things are, yeah, those stuff adds up quick. And you're usually <laughs> and, not and just that's, one. That's the thing. Well, yeah, it's all that, that sustainment is, you know, dished out amongst the team. And I, and that's, that's something to kind of talk about too, when with anybody that is looking for, like if you are planning to go this like full gear route, um, one of the considerations is, you know, on your, your floor in your garage or on a table, whatever, lay out everything you do want to carry and then select a chest rig or a backpack based off of everything that you see on that table so that how you can organize it or how you can stow it away. Um, and you'll realize real quick, you know, what, what seems to be more important that needs to be on your chest rig so that you can quickly grab it or something that you can get when you take a halt wherever you're at, or, you know, you digging in kind of thing. Um, and just kind of going from that, that aspect where you look at everything you want to carry and then select the bag and, and rig based off of that versus select the rig and then start filling it with whatever you can find to put in there. Yeah. To me, it, it makes more sense. Like what you're saying, you, you know, build it based off of priority. I think, or at least I, I have had discussions with dudes where guys like lose their shit because you don't on, uh, I guess, I don't, I don't know if first line is the best term for it, but like right on your chest, you need to have, you know, six mags, you know, stacked too deep across your chest. You need to have your radio out front. You need to have like a dedicated night vision pouch attached to your chest rig, which I would probably leave that in my bag, honestly, um, rather than on my side. But that's just me personally. You need to have, you know, uh, a GP pouch dedicated to all your map stuff, which maybe depending on your circumstances and situation, um, you need to have just like all this stuff, like this huge, it's like they, they take the taps rig, right? Which mm-hmm. is basically, just, if anybody listening doesn't know what that is, it's basically like cover the entire front of your body in molly webbing and then attach shit to it. And that's <laughs> kind of what the taps rig is. Um, <clears throat> and if you're not doing that, then you're not properly equipped for basically woodland operations. That's what a lot, that's seriously the way I think a lot of people look at it. You know, by, by the way people post online, I feel like it almost gets to be a competition of who can have the most shit laid out, like you're saying on like your garage floor take a picture, throw it up on Instagram. And it's just not realistic. Like I would, I would a hundred right, times. And it's not, yeah, it's not calling, calling, you know, everybody out. Cause I know there are guys that do actually train with what they carry kind of thing. Um, but yeah, to answer that, that previous question, it was, you know, <laughs> the most cringy thing to me is it's like, eh, 
Yeah, that doesn't look like doesn't look very, very comfortable to carry because I know what carrying that kind of shit is like, and that sucks. And yeah, I, I would, doubt that. I doubt rather, carrying all of that. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather load up my backpack person and personal preference. Not having done it a ton either, but I would rather load up my backpack with a lot of that stuff, and then I would rather like keep the front of me or at least the sides because you know, your body's round, right? So like the underarm areas and everything, I don't want a bunch of shit under there. So I can't put my arms down. Like I would rather stay a little bit more, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more, um, I don't want, flexible is not the right word, but like you were saying, like when you're getting up on the gun, right. Going for your, your C grip right on the rifle, I don't want to have to be <laughs> fighting against the resistance of all the gear I'm carrying, you know, and you're going to get away from that totally, but I just don't want it all hanging off the front of me. Well, that's a, I mean, that's one of those realities. And the, and one of the, one of the things that was taught before in the military, um, I mean, to, to me kind of growing up as a younger soldier was your, your kit that you have on your like chest rig or plate carrier should be able to sustain you for 24 hours in the event that you have to, you know, ditch, ditch your bag kind of thing. And that was that was one of those theories that was kind of taught like crazy because you know, if you do need to move faster and you have to jettison that equipment off mm-hmm. your back, or if you stash it somewhere so that you can go, you know, do a raid or whatever, because that's one of the other common things within a a recce a recce unit would be you move into a location where you can stash all your gear and then just take the essentials to do whatever the, the direct mission is. So if it's surveillance, you're going extremely light, lightweight up to that surveillance site to, to gather that Intel and you don't necessarily have your ruck just, you know, right next to you right. to, to grab no, and go. So if you get attacked think- and you just got to start running, then you're shit out of luck <laughs> really quick. Well, and, I think that that also points out some stuff too, because we're talking, you know, a a lot of guys want to point out things like with, you know, plate carriers, right. We just talked about, right. You know, take, drop the backpack, stow as much of the, I guess, sustaining gear in your observation point, whatever, go conduct your raid and then come back to it. Ideally. Right. Guys want to shit all over the plate carriers today that don't have because it's like the new hotness, right? They can zip on the back panels and they can molly on the back panels and you can put more shit on the back. Ultimately being less crap than what you could fit in a good backpack. But, you know, oh, you have to have a back panel. And it's like, well, then you can't take it off. You can't lighten the, the load. You also can't access it yourself, which is a huge thing for me, especially if we're having the conversation in the context of the civilian space, like, do you always run with a crew? Like if you do, then Hey, if you and your neighbors are like, are those motherfuckers? Like I'm a hundred percent like a, I'm definitely jealous, but, but B like, if you want to run it that way, then cool. If that's really your, your scenario and your situation, I think for most of us, it's not the case. I would 10 times out of 10, I would prefer a day pack over my carry my plate carrier that I can take off and easily access on my own. Or additionally, you know, if it is something that's because that you should stage that gear properly, it's something else. I think people don't give full value. Sometimes you have somebody just walk up behind you, especially with some like these mystery ranch bags that have like the tri zip and everything. And like, Hey, can you go in my top flap, grab a protein bar, grab my, my boo-boo kit, grab, I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? 
I just think that the backpack's a more versatile option rather than, you know, some of these zip on panels to hold. I mean, it's, it's, it's use case specific. You know, if you are doing a lot of like heavy SWAT based or CQB based stuff, then the back panel probably makes more sense. But I think for a lot of us, it doesn't. Right. I mean, fr- I mean, from, I didn't, I didn't do much of the, the CQB stuff, but from how I would use that would be more for, you know, breaching equipment. Again, stuff that, you know, uh, one of the team members can grab, grab equipment out of, or um, if we needed to collect whatever intels in that particular area, you could have extra bags and, and stuff like that to quickly pull out for collecting all that equipment. It's just whatever is immediate, like very immediate stuff is mm-hmm. what I would have in that particular back panel thing. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it, and I mean, honestly, it's just, it's, I don't know that it's, I I think a lot of guys buy it because they see people online running it. You know, you get a lot of good uh, like pictures and stuff and things like that, but those are guys like in teams that are practicing for those defined roles, understanding Mm -hmm. that like that a lot of those things from companies like, uh, like Spiritus, for example, I think Haley does some too, right? They're, they're built very mission specific for that. Like, Hey, we got four banger pouches at the top of this back panel. And it's like, cool as a civilian i really can't i mean i can buy airsoft grade bangers but i'm not buying like frags or or you know any of that stuff is it really you know and if i want to run that stuff on my kit there's better ways to do it than put it on my upper back between my shoulder blades where i can't get to it um right you know and to some extent like it's also cheaper like hey you don't have to spend you know, uh, the $250 on that carrier plus another 180 on that back panel. So you can take that, that excess money and invest in, you know, other things are going to be more applicable and beneficial to you, like a good backpack or training ammo, or honestly, I'm looking into a lot lately, a a radio that isn't a Bayofang that that's probably going to do better for you, uh, (laughs) is a real big one. Um, that I think, you know, I'm going to start trying to save to invest in, but it's, uh, it's a unique uh, situation, I think, with the whole, you know, the the recce concept. You start once we because we're you know obviously we're an hour into this this discussion, and like a lot of stuff starts to come, kind of rise to the top almost. You know, you start to sort through a lot of it uh, and start to really understand a little bit more when you have an honest discussion about what makes more sense. Uh, you know, I mean. I'm not saying anybody listening to this should go sell whatever you have and buy something different, but maybe well, you're. No, I mean, it's more of a mindset. It, that's the thing is it's not, it's not, it's not fully equipment based. It's more of a mindset. And it goes to that one question I asked you. If I said, hey, you and me are going to go in a recce out here in suburbia where you're at, mm-hmm. I mean, you immediately start changing in your head, like, okay, well, I, that's how I want to do it this loadout or whatever. It's like, cool, grabbing a chest rig and going to lightweight versus grabbing a plate carrier. Cause I'm probably going to carry a backpack with me. Yeah. And, 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 and to that point, it's, it, it actually, when you understand that and look at it, cause I've, I've put a lot of thought into this is like the whole urban recce concept. Actually, since Kyle from core vision even mentioned it on, when he was on the pod, I'm like, mm-hmm. huh, that's a thing. I just, it, I never connected the two dots. Right. I mean, for anybody listening to this, like you could go take your dog for a walk. And to some extent, you could practice a lot of the concepts that fundamentally start to come together 
to to build what we're talking about. You understand routes to and from your home. I mean, just pick a pick a you know destination. Well, hey, yeah. Gonna... So so here, take this as an example. Do you do you do EDC? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so right there, that's the first part. And then when you are doing EDC, are you paying attention to your surroundings? Yeah, actually, I will. <laughs> so um, there you go. You're surveying the, the area. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like the way my wife will go through and like, you know, oh, what kind of jewelry should I wear with this? What kind of whatever? I actually do spend more time than I probably should trying to figure out what pocket knife to carry, like what's going to what's going to stick out because as a giant pocket clip or, you know, what doesn't or something completely concealable. Um, same thing with like what kind of watch I'm going to wear or. So that, that falls into the field craft. I mean, yeah, technically in like the, the most like yuppie way possible. Yeah. It's uh, cause usually it's like, cause well, we're going no, out to I mean, a really nice dinner, but sure. Um, sure. But I'm saying like, if you're going into a whole EDC process and then, you're you're talking about which one of this piece of equipment is going to blend in more mm-hmm. with whatever I'm going to, but I also understand the routes, and then I also understand what covering concealment is, and I understand you're you're breaking down that three dimensional mindset to the entire area for survivability, and you know it, it could be the way I'm explaining this could sound a little dramatic at the moment, but it go it falls under that whole entire aspect of going into that recce thing from a personal kind of standpoint. Yeah. And that's the, all the field craft side. And that goes into that planning side. And, 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 you know, how, how, how are you going to get out of a situation? There's plenty of, of content that's out there all about EDC and self-defense and, you know, this, all of that stuff. And it's all just encompassing. Because remember, in the very beginning of this, I, had, I was talking about how it's all advanced individual skills. It's right. an encompassing of everything. Recce isn't just at, from the shooting side. Mm-hmm. It's not just long distance shooting. It's every single thing all combined into one because you don't know what situation is going to be thrown at you and you don't have a support system. Yeah, so, I mean, it could be close-up shooting, depending on how fucked things get and how quickly they they get there, right? Well, so here's an example: you can watch that that whole fight scene from Lone Survivor, and oh, yeah. you know they had that very up close up close encounter, and then were fighting their way out, right? And they had they had scoped optics on those on those Mark Twelves plus the the M4s. And that's what that's what they had at the moment, and that's what they were they they had to fight somewhat close close engagements with that in order to get out of that situation. So, all in all, it's all your advanced skills compiled into one individual and multiple of those individuals to build that team, and that's why it's more or less an advanced skill. Yeah, and because it's compiling of everything. Yeah, and it it. it if anything highlights the importance of being well-rounded, you know, like, because it's kind of like the, um, I don't know why I always think about like that. Do you ever, we're in school, remember like on fire safety day when they had that goofy three-legged stool about a fire and it needs three things, which I can't like fuel oxygen and something else. And if you pull one of the legs, it falls over and it doesn't work. Um, Mm -hmm. I always think of that for some reason. I can't remember what the third fucking leg was. 
but at any rate, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing where if you're not well-rounded and one of those legs isn't there, the whole, you know, the chair falls over type deal, um, or at the very least is not going to work as well as it is intended to. Right. So, I mean, and that's why, that's why it's like, you know, offering a, like a recce course per se, you know, some of it is just the way the titling is, but it's going to be encompassing everything in, in scenario based. And it's just like, how do you choose out of your, your list of skill sets on um, what you're capable of to, to handle that situation? Well, yeah, that's what it is. And then even from a course perspective, then, you know, they even becomes even more difficult too, because then you're looking at multiple individuals and how do you measure where they're at and how do you build a, how do you really build a functional curriculum? Like it works in the military, right? Because you know that you don't get to that, that point in things until you've already done A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. the civilians, you know, like, okay, I mean, you can say that you've had time doing this. You can say you know how to do fill in the blank, but you may really not. So to offer a class on this might not actually be beneficial. In addition to like, it's just, it's kind of abstract. I mean, really when you get into it, it's, it's an abstract concept that just can be applied to, to anything. Right. That's, I think that's kind of what we've been getting at the whole discussion really. Yeah, it's 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 just an all-encompassing kind of factor that's based on your location. It's based on the situation you're near or that that's in front of you. It's it's just way too general and open. Yeah, you you can't you can't nail anything down. I feel like you know because as soon as you start thinking that you have something figured out, it's someone it's a very easy one to go like well yeah but what if and then it changes the whole game you know um mm-hmm. <clears throat> whether it be i mean i guess environment is probably the easiest one that that changes everything but um you know it's it's always very easy to say well uh, you know you're in uh, this kind of agriculturally based landscape where everything's very flat and wide open because it's i don't know soybean fields Right. And it's like, okay, well then I want a stronger optic because it's going to be wide open. So I want to see as far as possible versus heavily wooded, which may change some things, or you want a shorter barrel uh, versus a longer barrel versus whatever kind of, you know, and then you get into the camouflage thing and, um, and all that stuff. I will say, here's one thing that I'm thinking that I think is fairly universal, regardless that people don't pay attention to. Is, and we experienced this for some different reasons on Sunday, but uh, is footwear like people don't mm-hmm. take like I don't know that I ever actually I've seen a couple guys like uh, Blake Flannery has done some videos on how to like pack socks for the field, like fill them mm-hmm. with powder and roll them inside out and stuff. But like, man, when you get your feet get wet and your socks are wet and then you got to spend the whole day on the, on your feet that way, like it is absolutely fucking miserable. I can't even imagine you know, uh, having to do that for like three days in a row, having not packed any extra socks or any, anything like that. Um, and that's, and even if you do have good footwear, let alone these guys that are like, yeah, I'm out here in my Solomons. And it's like, dude, I don't, I don't know if that's actually the best choice for what you're doing here. Right. And I mean, and that kind of goes into, you'll figure it out real quick. If you 
do the training, like train with the equipment that mm-hmm. you have, like take that heavy pack of all that gear that you took photos of, throw it on and go for a walk. Even on, even on just, uh, even on just like blacktop, a flat road, uh, like at some point you're going to start to feel some discomfort and then you're going to have to identify how to, how to fix that situation. You start getting those crazy blisters. You start, um, you know, your skin starts getting all messed up or you start putting stress fractures on into your, your feet and your ankles and your shins. Cause you're not used to carrying any of that stuff. Um, yeah. you'll, you'll learn those lessons really quick as per the training. So, you know, if you're going to throw that term out and, and build loadouts based on it, just, just train with the stuff that you have. Don't, don't think that will, you know, I think I'm strong enough and I can just go and do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you won't, you won't know until you try it. Cause and, and it's a good point. You know, I, I know I see like, uh, like Drew Hopkins and Josh Lowry, right. Those guys do a lot of stuff on Instagram. And, um, I know some people give them some, or at least to me have given them some shit like, Oh, look, they're posting the same video. They're walking the same path. They're doing the same thing over and over again, but it's like, okay. But, to your point there, right? Like they're testing out their loadout. Like you don't know what they changed. Maybe they just, it could have been as simple as they packed their ruck differently to redistribute weight. Because once you start mm-hmm. getting like those weird hot spots, especially on like your hips, like there's no way around that. Like you have to walk to move or getting, you know, blisters, hot spot on your hips, feet. Uh, if you're where, I mean, I don't know anywhere, really any of those uh, start to chafe. I don't know. It could be any number of things. Uh, but you can't, you know, figure that out until you get out there and actually play around with your gear. You put yourself through the paces and start to experience it. Um, it's kind of a necessary part of the whole process, you know, and, and guys that have actually done it will, a lot of them post reviews on those on backpacks and, uh, you know, Alice packs or, or whatever, uh, cause they've had those poor experiences. Like my buddy gave me I don't even know what it is. It's some kind of weird backpack from when he was in the, in the air force. And it's got like a metal frame to it. I put this thing on like, and maybe it's cause I'm just a big guy. I put this fucking thing on and I swear to God, the bottom corners of the frame, like literally stabbed me in the kidneys. I've never put it back on since I went and got like a, a <laughs> like a wire framed one. That's like from like REI or something. And like, I'll never go back to that. Whatever that other thing is. I don't, it's insanely uncomfortable. I cannot imagine having to load that down with 80 pounds of gear. And then just oh, it'll get more than that. Well, I mean, I mean, my my packs were averaging like a hundred plus pretty easily, dude. So okay, so if you're talking about a hundred pounds of shit, and how long were you usually out for? Was there like an average like two days or something, four days or? Uh, yeah. Um, usually, for us, it was usually like I don't know, somewhere around five ish. Okay. So yeah, worse. Okay. <laughs> and a hundred pounds. And that's, that's just, and that was, that was just stuff on your back. Right. So that wasn't anything on your chest rig. That wasn't, or that was just my, that was just my pack. Yeah. So not counting the rifle, not counting anything in your, uh, or any of the ammo or any of that stuff. I mean, the worst, it. yeah, the worst training mission that I had to do, it was, um, it was close to, it was close to like, like 30 K 
uh, of a movement over three days. And my pack was a hundred and it was 160 something pounds with everything that I, that I had. Um, and that was with the team too. So it wasn't just me. It was like, um, the whole, the whole section was with us and it was just six of us, I believe. And each guy was anywhere between 140 to 160 ish pounds of, of gear. And we had to hike through these mountains and clear out all these draws in the mountain. And this mountain was just, I remember we were side skirting the whole thing and I could hold, it was at such a steep angle that I could put my hand on the ground next to me because it was like something close to like, 40 degrees or something like that it was like it was pretty it was pretty aggressive <laughs> that that um, sounds miserable with that much weight it well and that's where the boots really came into play like i was super thankful that we were able to um we so we were authorized to kind of wear our own boots that weren't part of the the uniform standard yeah. and so we had ones that were all you know beefed up in the ankles and had harder harder soles so that you could actually like cut into the side of the the terrain without rolling your ankles because we were side skirting on this steep this steep uh uh incline and i remember the one i i freaked out because i had the the barrett uh m107 across my shoulders so it was really long and it was broken yeah. down into the two halves and I had both halves on, on my back. And usually you pass off one of the halves to like the spotter, for example. But I had both uh, both sections of that rifle going horizontal across the, the top of the, the Alice pack. And because it was so steep, the the muzzle of it being so far away from me kept bumping against the against the terrain a, and it yeah. would shift all that weight away from me and i would and one of the times i had fell down down this mountain um uh, you Holy know shit. several feet until a, a tree that was coming out of it kind of caught me but i would have i probably would have just kept going like just far <laughs> that is it was it was bad because that, that weight got thrown away like away from me so fast and they're you know there wasn't enough core muscle in that moment to, to try to catch that because I just bounced off this this side of the mountain. It was, yeah, it was what crazy. Is, what does that rifle weigh? It is not a light, right? That's why it's going to be broken down to, to move like, it. Like It's like 20, I want to say it's like 27 pounds unloaded. That's that's a fucking heavy rifle. That's And it's unwieldy just to do the length and everything. Like that's So technically with your pack and the rifle, you were close to 200 pounds. Well, I had that. two rifles on me because I was carrying an M4 in front with the 107 on my back. So my pack, my pack was was around 160 pounds. So pack and, and the Barrett, you're at about almost 190 plus all of your like your M4, your ammo, all the other shit. So you're probably yeah, carrying what, almost 250, 230, something somewhere 230, 250 somewhere altogether. I don't know. I, I zoned out pretty quick. Try not to think about it. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was not a good. Well, and you're trying to stay focused on what the mission is in front of you too. Right. So you have right. to pay attention to everything else. That it's like you go numb pretty quick and 
just start putting one foot in front of the other and just making sure you're paying attention. <laughs> so from your experience, was there, is there like a, a particular brand or pair of boots you can recommend only because I, like I, when I was looking, I ended up buying a pair of Reeboks that I've actually had a, a pretty okay experience with, but originally I was looking at like five eleven, and uh, I had a buddy tell me like they're expensive and they're actually not really that great. Go, really? He's like, yeah, they're, they're really not that great. Uh, he had actually recommended Nike, but those were really expensive. So they were super comfortable, just not very durable. I don't know. What, what have your experiences been like? So it really came down to what I was doing. <laughs> um, if That's I was doing a lot of mountain stuff, I would want reinforced, uh, reinforced outer, um, like on the outside of the boot from it being scraped up and stuff like that. So it wouldn't tear as easily as well as having uh, a more rigid, a more rigid sole. So my favorite mountain boots were the Asolos. Um, Never even heard of that brand. I'm going to look it up now. (laughs) They're, they're, they're pretty good. And I like them a lot. Um, For kind of the all around boot. I like the Solomon's. Uh, for urban stuff, we wanted to be more nimble. So we wanted something that was really flexible so that you could like climb things and run a lot more on flat surfaces and not have to worry about rolling an ankle. And that's where those Nikes kind of came into play. The other thing that was really nice about them was, um, they were a lot quieter when moving into positions like in urban environments. So like walking down hallways or, um, moving through rooms and stuff like that. They didn't, they didn't make that clunking noise as you were walking through a quiet building. Yeah. As, oh, that's much, a good as, point. as much as like a, like a mountain boot being a lot of a harder compound mm-hmm. where it would, you know, make like a, you know, like that high heel noise walking down a hallway kind of thing. Yeah. Like the, the, <laughs> like clod, the clotting or whatever, like that, the clickety clack or whatever. Yeah. When you're taking your mm-hmm. steps, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, that's, I didn't even think about that, but that obviously makes a lot of sense. Um, More like slip resistant, like, you know, if it's raining outside and you start moving through urban environments, like, especially for like law enforcement guys, it's the last thing you want is to, you know, start plowing through a doorway and then all of a sudden you slip because your boots are wet from walking through the grass and in a, in a rainy environment. It's a, uh, it's a pretty embarrassing feeling. Um, I've never been in law enforcement, but I have actually, I have practiced just like threshold work and stuff. Um, definitely have slipped and like jammed my rifle into a door frame aggressively. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, well, actually it doesn't matter because I ripped that door, that door out and that wall out. So it's gone now. Nobody will know other than me <laughs> telling the world right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point, it's, it, you know, you, you need to be, you know, sure of foot, definitely. And I, and I, I do, I can't say it enough. Like maybe it's just because I watched like my dad had just tremendous foot issues his entire life and everything. So he always made sure we had good, you know, footwear and everything. But like, I just, I can't get over how many people show up to the flat range in like new balances or want to go hiking and they're wearing like steel toe boots. There's just like not the right footwear for what you're doing. And I think, you know, you definitely, if nothing else, like, and let me know if you disagree, but like, if you're going to be out walking in the woods, get something with ankle support, 
Like it doesn't have to be a dedicated like combat boot or whatever you want to call it, but get something with ankle support. Cause I, I know I have been, you know, you, you step over a log and it's mossy or it's wet and mossy and you slip. Do you're going to roll your ankle, you're breaking ankle. You're going to get fucked up real fast. And it's, if you don't have that ankle support there, you might still slip and fall, but at least your ankle will at least be like, you know, immobilized. So you can't do too much damage to it. Right. You won't like twist it or roll it. I mean, and I mean, that just naturally happened to me just throughout the, the time I was in the military, I had rolled my ankle so many times that I had like almost no elasticity to it to the point where I had to just start wearing a, like a sleeve underneath my boot. And then I would carry a roll of duct tape with me because we would be in the middle of like training and I would just step on a pebble the wrong way and it would just blow out my ankle again because there was nothing there. And I would have to take duct tape and start taping the outside of my boot, similar to how you would see uh, like football players. I get their, their ankles. Yep. And they get their ankles taped. And that's what I would start doing because I was just like, well, I'm not going to stop, but I need to make sure that this thing stays in place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bad thing. time. That's a real bad time. Yeah. I mean, even just, I mean, it just goes back to like the whole, the whole train fitness, like crazy. If you're going to sit in front of a TV, just get a, like one of those elastic bands and just sit there with your toes and stuff, just pressing on the band for resistance and just kind of building up a little bit of that, that ankle strength and stuff like that. Just little things like that. And fitness in general. I mean, uh, it's, it's uh, thankfully it has become more of a focal point in the community. Um, you know, but I mean, if you're not in good enough shape to carry all, I mean, you said what, like 160 pounds, right? Like, Dude, it, it, you can have all the gear in the world. You can afford it. You can have the knowledge, but if you can't physically like do anything with it, it, it makes literally no difference, you know? So like mm-hmm. working out, you know, work your, your back muscles, do rows. Um, I mean, cardio is not everything, you know, and that's, that's one of the things I think people uh, get the wrong idea when they talk about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I can run a, I don't know. <laughs> six and a half minute mile or some shit. I, I don't even know what's, what's good for a mile time anymore. Um, it, it is good, but it's not the, certainly the only thing. If you're a total string bean and you can't carry anything, it's not going to be a lot better on you. Well, and the other thing to think about too, is even if you are somebody that, that works out like crazy and does have the strength, that doesn't mean load yourself out to the max capability of your strength. <laughs> Again, like think about it from a, like an endurance standpoint, like a muscular endurance standpoint, like how long can you go with, you know, loadout one versus loadout two. Right. Or however many loadouts you have. And like you pointed out earlier, right. Just the, the food and the calorie intake, you know, if you are that big and hulking, you know, shredded dude, right. Huge and muscles and everything like you, you to sustain that, for extended periods of time, like in the event that you end up being out more than, I don't know, whatever the four or five days you plan on, if you end up being out for two weeks, three weeks or something like the amount of calories it's going to take to sustain your body appropriately and effectively is certainly a consideration. And I don't give a shit what, like I've, I've tried, I don't know, like one, 
I was so disgusted by an actual MRE. Like anybody who's like actually planning on being out and doing some of that stuff, like don't just go buy something off the rack and think that you're going to be fine with it because it sounds good. Because I'll tell you some of the like I don't even I can't remember what it was. I think it was like stroganoff or something. It was disgusting. I oh, the beef stroganoff. Oh yeah, maybe. that's actually one of the decent ones. Ugh. Uh, yeah, I had a buddy when we went up to we were in Northern Michigan. My buddy's cabin. And he was teaching us some land nav stuff and he, he packed some MREs and he's eating like, like cold, like some, like, uh, oh, yeah. it was like some like Mexican chicken and rice thing or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. that, that looks fucking disgusting. He's like, no, man, it's actually pretty, pretty fucking good. It's not as good as the chili Mac. I'm like, now that sounds gross. That sounds like you're going to shit your pants. He's like, no, no, actually I didn't realize this. No, MREs are actually designed to make you not shit. So you don't have to do it out in the field. I'm like, that's horrendous. I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around that right now. Well, and that's the thing. It's just like, even that stuff right there, like you're talking about comfort. Yeah. Like it's the category of comfort, right? So if you want to, you know, we kind of initiated this whole conversation about recce. It's like, you better get comfortable not being comfortable really, yeah. really quick. Yeah. Like what, like, what can, you know, what kind of, where can you sleep? Are you somebody who has a hard time sleeping on hard ground versus something soft? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is, is kind of really the, well, here's, the here's one of the situations I'll, you know, I'll talk about this one. So one of the, one of the theories is, is like, you get really, or you get really comfortable with the buddies that are around you because, um, for example, you know, the MREs, we would keep the, the, the brown bag that it comes in so that yeah. you can, you can hide, you can hide your, you know, your feces and stuff like that away from whatever the situation is that you're in, because yeah. you could generally smell it or, you know, dog teams can smell it and know where you were located and start, you know, tracking where, where your team has been out. And you got to almost like pack that out with you until you can find a place to dispose of it where, it's concealed enough. And that, it's not always just digging a hole to, yeah. to, you know, take a dump in a hole and then cover it up. Cause now you got, you got the, you know, you got the shit mixed with the fresh, freshly turned dirt and all that other stuff. And you're trying to make it look like you were never there kind of thing. Yeah. So no, there was time or like in an urban, in an urban <laughs> environment, if you're going full like surveillance and you don't have the ability to, to like cover it up kind of thing, you don't want to be found because, you know, you, you know, pissed in a corner somewhere or, you know, took a dump or whatever. And you weren't able to like conceal that. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't goes, even think about that. How you're you gonna... know, It just kind of goes into the whole comfort thing. Like you got to be really good at being uncomfortable. Yeah. I, that, that is that right there. Just going to the bathroom is a unique, I mean, cause I just, I did, I, I just assumed you would just shit in a hole and, and and then you know backfill it with the dirt that you dug out i did not yeah that's a good point though because then the ground is disturbed and even if they don't find you like it's an obvious giveaway that somebody's there you know that the ground doesn't just dig itself and, and up an, yeah i mean that's an extreme mm-hmm. example i mean so for we'll go into something that uh you know that's taught in the, the reconnaissance world so when you're building a subsurface hide site so you're you know essentially building a big ass fort in the ground for you to live in with you and your buddies and you cover it over top. So it looks like you're below the earth with some kind of visual, um, like a hole that you can see out of and and stuff like that. 
we'll take extra duffel bags with us so that we can fill the duffel bags with all the dirt that we excavated out and we'll hike the dirt to a location far away from us to go dump it so that you keep like anything within the immediate area, like 50 to a hundred, hundred meters in our immediate area doesn't look like it was disturbed at all. And is 100% concealed underground. And so you like all that dirt's got to go somewhere because you pulled it out so that you and your like mm-hmm. five guys can live underground for a week kind of thing. And so you would use those duffel bags to fill them up with dirt, hike all the way out and then go dump them out somewhere else and then go hide back. Yeah. That'd be the job I would not want. I, I would say here, take this bag of dirt and just go walk until, you know, you can't and then dump it out and come back. Well, and then you got to do it at nighttime so that nobody finds you during the daytime. Yep. No, that makes sense too. So and that's an additional challenge is there, right? Moving around at night. Do you have night vision? Do you not have night vision? That's, I, I mean, it's cool. I think that people are promoting that too now, but I think you see it used a lot, mostly in the CQB space and not learning how to like, so was that a challenge for you? Like learning how to move under night vision over like, logs and rocks and stuff in the woods uh yes i mean yeah ultimately yes because usually once you start going into the woods it gets even darker because of the tree canopy and you don't have any ambient light and which kind of kills your nods but i mean well some of of them have onboard illuminators which kind of help but yeah but you can't do that in a reconnaissance standpoint because one, you're moving, you're moving, you know, ducks in a row. And if everybody has these IR lights on and it's just getting popular now um, that the opposing side has night vision, they're going to see all those lights just moving through the woods. And if you show the, the, the order of how everybody is mm-hmm. like standing in a line, well, then you know how to attack that, that group and stuff like that. Right. So what we would do is we would just have these little like these little tiny lights where only the guy in the very very front would uh, would shine it, and then you would just follow the the cat eyes on the back of the helmets of the guy in front of you. So it would be so dark that you couldn't see very far. Mm-hmm. It'd be like me saying like, "Hey, take your take your because you you have a PVS fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go into your bathroom with the door shut, and then." And then just try to like wash your hands with no lights on where it's like really, really dark and you won't be able to see that far in front of you because of that reason. And so when you would see like the, the, the little cat eyes, their little IR um, loom tape on the back of the helmets and stuff. Mm -hmm. Once you would see it like dip down real low, you know, that the guy is going underneath something. And when you would see it kind of like go up, he was going over something. So you just kind of knew what to prepare for. The worst is when, the night vision would malfunction and then you're following just blindly through the, through the woods, almost based off of sound. And you would have to almost keep your hand on the the dude's shoulders in front of you or his ruck in front of you. So you could feel when he's going up or down because your, your equipment completely malfunctioned and there's no replacements or, or anything like that. That's when it would get crazy. (laughs) Yeah. You totally screwed. It's not like, I don't know. Did you guys ever pack extra night vision? Like, was that a contingency planning point? I I didn't, I wouldn't think so. It's kind of expensive and just not. Well, and it just adds to the weight. I mean, obviously you try to make sure it all works before going out there, but 
I mean, the stuff that we had was so old that it would just flicker and then shut off or, you know, they would just break in the middle of the field or whatever it was. That can't be, that can't be a thing. It's mill, it's military grade equipment. It's that doesn't break. Yeah. It went past its uh, expiration date. Yeah. I think, and that's just, you know, I, again, people, I think they use, they throw that term around a lot too with, with everything. Oh, it's military grade equipment. I don't think that means what you think it means. It just means that the military <laughs> used it, which means that it was cheap and it should last a while. And that's about it for most, right. for, I mean, for most things, not necessarily everything, but that, did you guys, you guys got what 14s or did you guys have dual tubes? Uh, they just started getting dual tubes as I was getting out. Um, but, but no, we had 14s and, we even had a couple sevens laying around. Yeah, the pinnacle of 1980s uh, night vision technology. Uh, mm-hmm. Dude, I mean, I wanted one of those for a long time. I, have you ever seen the movie uh, Executive Decision? Uh, a while ago. Yeah, so uh, I liked it. Like, I saw that. Like, the, what do you, it's not a skull crusher, but like the helmetless mounting system for like a PVS 7. I was like, when mm-hmm. I was a kid, I saw that. I was like, man, that's the coolest shit ever. I'm going to have that for sure. And for that reason, and because it's the only movie I would actually challenge anybody listening or you to correct me on this. It's the only movie you ever see Steven Seagal die in. Think about it. Yeah, that's that's possible. Yeah, I mean, he's such an egomaniac. Uh, any of the movies he's made in the last like 20 years, he definitely doesn't die in because he's like the main character. But anything before that, I'm pretty I would challenge anyone listening to this to correct me. I'm pretty sure it's the only movie you ever. I mean, if you follow like the comic book idea of you didn't watch him actually die, so he could still be alive. Whatever, but I'm pretty sure when the bomber crashes, he just he <laughs> dies in it. So um, but yeah, love that movie for like that and like you know obviously young hollyberry but I, I digress at any rate <laughs> um <laughs> this has been cool man um I, honestly i think we i think we got into a, a lot here you know i think the concept as a whole is very very deep you know um i yeah more or less <laughs> yeah i know i mean is there did we did we not touch on anything that's like essential to this in your mind um I mean, it's just for me. So much. Yeah, to I it. mean, for me, it's just broken down into two two major categories. Um, yeah. It would just be the the shooting side, which is be advanced with every single platform you can get your hands on, to include like if you had to pick up somebody else's platform and still be advanced with it. Um, yeah. Because it's all about that getting out of a situation to the best of your abilities. Not mm-hmm. necessarily moving, uh, assaulting into something. It's always getting out of a situation. And then you have the whole field craft side. So all that knowledge with communications and navigation and survivability from equipment. And um, the, I mean, you can add the camouflage side to it, but I, I mean, I would say it's more about just knowing how to use all your equipment um, all the resources in the area, just understanding the planning, uh, have a plan kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just train them, train them separately. And when you get an opportunity to kind of combine the two, then, then have at it and have fun. 
Yeah, no, for sure, man. And I, I do, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of fill in my gaps there. Cause I, I had a lot of, I think misconceptions or just a lot of things I didn't realize, you know, as we got through that. Uh, and I, and I would, I'd be, I'd be confident saying, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that fall into the same category as me, where you have some, albeit incorrect, but preconceived ideas, right. Of what, what this all is. So, uh, very informative, you know, always, always good being able to connect with you and, and, and talk through this stuff. So, um, you know, at, as always, you know, uh, before I kind of, we wrap it here. Can you just tell everybody where they can find you if they have questions or I know you have classes and everything with Sidewinder um, where they can, they can look you up and, and find out how to, how to work with you. Maybe not on yeah, recce so, stuff, um, but on I, I mean, I do shooting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually have a curriculum being um, developed right now within that particular realm. Oh, I spoiler think, I alert. think I got you something go. good something good coming, coming for that one. Um, but yeah, um, sidewinderconcepts.com is where you can, you can find us. Um, Instagram is where I'm most active on. So it's sidewinder underscore concepts and shoot me a DM if you got questions. So I'm pretty active on it and we'll answer just about anything that, that gets sent to me. Right on, man. Appreciate it. Always a blast, sir. And, uh, as always, I will I will be in touch. Well, there you guys go. Uh, so hopefully that discussion was, I mean, at first entertaining, but B, hopefully educational. And, you know, to some extent, I think that if you walk away from hearing some of those things and you're upset, maybe it's because you had a different understanding of what recce might mean you know i mean even it's just it's a slang term like it's short for reconnoiter or reconnaissance so um it's something that i think is just very like overly popularized <clears throat> without uh, a full uh and appropriate understanding of of the concept right and that's why i wanted to bring adrian on and why i wanted to have the discussion because uh there's a lot of great things being done you know, out there in the training space, out there on social media, a lot of great information being shared by like a lot of a lot of very legitimate dudes that have the benefit of experience, um, the benefit of their own failings or successes, right? To share that they want to, you know, build curriculum to some extent or pass this information on so that you can be successful, you know, in your endeavors to try and learn how to be more effective. Um, but I do really. And, and seriously think that there's just a lot of guys that throw on a chest rig and a backpack and, you know, a scope on their rifle, and that's recce. And that's really, that is recce at its highest form. Um, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to learn more about it, first and foremost, because that's what the the mission of this podcast is, is me sharing my educational experiences. So you know, maybe you, you knew all of this stuff going into it. There's certainly, I think, some of you out there listening that have had these life experiences and and there's a good possibility that none of this is new to you. Um, but for what I think is a greater majority of folks out there, that there's probably plenty of myths that were dispelled um, and some information gaps that were illuminated. So um, if you're excited and you have more questions, I, uh, I urge you to reach out to Adrian on Instagram, ask questions. Uh, it sounds like he's working on course curriculum to roll out a, uh, a class 
that will go ahead and, you know, address a lot of this stuff and teach you a lot of these things you may have questions about, you know, Sidewinder is doing some really, really good work, both, you know, in the, obviously the outdoor distance shooting space, uh, but as well as this now too, with the, uh, I, I don't even want to call it an announcement, but you know, he did say he's working on it. So, um, definitely worth checking out. Adrian's a really smart dude, uh, a lot of knowledge to share and he's been through a lot of stuff and, and has a lot of, uh, experience that he's, he's willing to put out there. So, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. I certainly appreciate you guys sticking with us and, and checking out the episode. Uh, I got to mention one more time here. We, we do have a Patreon page. Head over to patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Sign up, support what we're doing here, get more guests like uh, like Adrian on board, and let us do do more content, bring more information to you. But until next time, you guys, <clears throat> that's all for me. Like I always say here, get out there, work hard, train smarter, and be prepared. Be prepared.